welcome to F1 101 with Brandon and Olivia. We were gone, but now we're back. <laughs> and if you don't know the reference, congratulations, you have more than one interest. Um, we took a little vacay, the F1 pod went uh, on abroad. So, but we're back and we're happy to talk about the first sprint race of the season. Brandon, what do you think? We just watched the Imola sprint qualifying yesterday. We just, our heads are bursting with uh, irresponsible overreactions, <laughs> over inferences, making too much of what we saw. These thoughts will, you know, be past their sell by date by tomorrow, but we wanted to put them out there anyway. Um, Olivia, quick, uh, we're back in Imola this week, obviously, uh, a classic track with a lot of history, really great flowing undulating course i think there's a lot mm. to like about it um ferrari fans are out in force it's actually even closer to the alpha tari that's right facilities which is like literally uh one or two towns over although i'm not sure how many of their fans i've seen but but yeah, i'm not if, actually if you're there yuki or gasly do you consider this a home race i'm not entirely sure tech you know geographically it is you can make the case for it um, but there was a lot of there was a lot of red out today in Imola for sure. No, for no sure. surprise. So Olivia, any overall thoughts, big takeaways, global points you want to make before we kind of get into what's happened so far? Well, two things. One, I'm kind of thinking every race should be a sprint race. <laughs> I'm liking this. Uh, the, you know, every unreliable engine seems to be you know holding up just fine. Better than FP FP three, you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you're in and out in an hour, a little less. Um, I ca- freeze up the weekend a little fits bit. Fits into your busy life. It fits into the sketch, for sure. Um, you're in a definite minority in that position in uh, <laughs> F1 land. But but there, there's this, I love the sprint and that it is this immediately satisfying. It gratifies that need. I mean, we've been off a week, you know, you kind of think, oh, I don't miss it too much. And then you're right back into FP1 and you're like, all right, I'm hungry for for Sunday. So it was nice to have that little like taste before the big race. Um, I was surprised that like I was full, I was coming into this race fully prepared for kind of a boring, you know, most of not a lot of shake up, not a lot of, hmm. you know, taking and replacing positions. Um, you know, there's one DRS zone, so there's one main opportunity for overtaking, and of course we saw that that was clearly like I one think, spot on the track. And someone can correct me if this is wrong. And this was a nice sprint, and it was a nice quality, and I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. If I have one negative thing to say, is mm-hmm. that all the overtakes that I saw happened in exactly the exactly. same place at the end of the DRS zone into turn one. Maybe I missed something. Um but, you know, as much as the arrow on these new cars is allowing for closer racing, and that's great, uh, it's still so DRS-reliant. And a little bit of that will vary track to track. Imola is a great track, but it is pretty narrow, um, especially for these newer, bigger cars. Um, uh, yeah, the road just looks a little a little tighter than some. It's not as wide and open as a place like Bahrain, for instance. Right. And so I was thinking, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a snooze. Um, you know, we watched qualifying. I thought that was kind of going to be the real moment of the weekend because I was going to set up everything that was going to going to come to follow. And more or less, the the grid was going to stay the same for the race. Um, and there were a lot of 
similarities, but there was also a huge amount of shakeup. And I wasn't, I was kind of surprised that there was a lot, enough, you know, comings and goings and changes. And uh, it was kind of nice to see, it was nice to see some overtakes, or to see some defending. It was nice to see kind of good clean racing. It wasn't a lot of, you know, con some, some contact, but not a lot of crashes, not a lot of red flags that causing a lot of the issues. Like it was really racing on the track. It was when it was Max versus Leclerc, you see the real spirit of the drivers coming into it. You see their style, you see, you know, their passion, their, like the way that they can handle in like high pressure situations and like turns and things and who's gonna take that break and who's gonna take that space and all those, you, you get to watch that. And I was, I was kind of surprised it ended up being as eventful and kind of enjoyable as it was. Yeah, and yet it's like, Quali was super wild and eventful. The, the sprint was entertaining. And yet for everything, as much that seemed to happen, you know, things also stay the same in a certain way. Like, where did we end up? We ended up with Max, Leclerc, Checo, and Sainz in that order, starting the grid on for race day tomorrow, followed by the two McLarens, which, I mean, the top four is totally what you'd expect. So it's like the everyone sort of landed in the seats that you'd expect, with the possible exception of Mercedes, which which we can talk about yeah. maybe in a few minutes. But my second major takeaway from this race is that, you know, as I was thinking about this after watching it, I realized that this is probably how I expected all the races to have gone so far. Like seeing, you know, either one or two between Leclerc and Verstappen, you know, maybe Sainz or Checo get on the podium. Mm -hmm. Like that would be like the new one, two, three. Sure. And this, we've been kind of like dizzying, like going back between different, you know, outcomes that before this race, there was, you know, Russell was P2. And like we were like things that didn't seem to make any sense were kind of like, you know, through the strange alignment of the stars, it kind of like happened that Mercedes was second in the, in the constructors and right. all these things that weren't by completely by merit, but were mostly by luck had sort of found themselves into this order. But this race seemed like this is how I was expecting the season to go. You yes, know what I mean? so far, especially where everything ended up, it does kind of confirm that sort of the shape of the season as we'd intuited it, which mm -hmm. is, you know, what you watch happen is very different than what you see if you look at the points totals, both drivers and teams. Like, oh, Max isn't the sixth worst driver. He's yeah. the second, right? He's behind Leclerc, but he's clearly the second competitor for the championship this season. I Mercedes is clearly not the second best team, even though they have the second most points. So there was, there's a funkiness in the leaderboard, and yet I think what we saw today starts to show that, yeah, we do kind of have a sense of where these teams are uh, and where these drivers are, more or less. I haven't done the math, but do you know what Verstappen's points would be if he didn't DNF, assuming that he would have finished second which is where he was leading second both, both in Bahrain and in Australia yes well, he'd be second in the championship right but it, I mean what the, what the gap would be between the I, points I don't know so I don't know astounding as it is so no um no it'd be totally game on for the title challenge and hope, hopefully it still can be if Max can finger sort of string a few positive results together and and a week a weekend that has the sprint and the regular race there's more points to take so if max can win tomorrow as well uh, obviously it's better for him if leclerc isn't finishing right behind him in second but if he has a few good weeks he can pull himself back into this right title fight 
And conversely, like, I think Lewis Hamilton might not be coming back from this. Right. There seems to be, at least with a little and bit And George of, Russell will not be holding on to that number two spot. You know, it was a good while it lasts. He got a good two weeks. He had an extra week in there. But I, there seems to be a lot of resignation and a lot of... Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's right. talk about... Uh, let's take Quali first. So qualifying... And the thing I love about a sprint weekend is you only have to watch one practice and then you're right into Quali on Friday. It really makes love Friday it. a lot more important. Um, and, of course, it's dominated by the rain. We have five red flags throughout the three heats, which I believe is a, a record. record. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it took a long time to watch this... Uh, this qualifying Q3 a few things happen um Olivia stop me if at any time you want to talk about these more but I'm just kind of gonna look at my notes here Albon catches fire so he's out it was pretty pretty wild to see actually nice guy Alex Albon I'm still jazzed about his performance in Australia I know he is the least he is has the lowest paid driver on the grid really and he is totally outperforming people i'm oh my God. I love someone it. give that guy a check i mean it's still way more than mm-hmm. i make <laughs> and i'm you know i'm surviving okay uh no it's still he the gap between so he's the lowest the gap between him and the next is four million wow so he's definitely they're he's getting them on is the latifi being paid by his own family money like they donate to Williams and they like kick an him allowance? back some of it to him and it's it like, like yeah it's like pocket money I, I know. don't know how, how they his uh, family's like pay pay Nikki a little more we'll we'll cover it we got it covered <laughs> I don't know how that works but the yeah there's a four million dollar difference so when they when they hang like, out I'm hoping Latifi's picking up the check he's gotta be so Q3 a little different than expected rain aside um Ocon has a gearbox issue, and he did set a time early in the heat, but he didn't get back out there, and maybe for a while that time seemed like it might carry him into Q2, but then the track really started ramping up, and so he was out, which would be hugely disappointing for him because he's definitely expecting to be in Q3, that Alpine's a pretty fast car when it's not breaking down. Um, And then in their home race, both the Alpha Taris miscalculate. Their early times were not particularly slow, but they called him back into the pits. The exact reasons I can't quite recall. They wanted to look at something. And so they, they missed their chance for a final run there at the end where conditions are best. And both Yuki and Gasly are out in Q1. Uh, excuse me, Q3, which is a bit of a shocker. Yeah. I think that AlphaTauri wins the award for worst luck of the season so far. I can't remember a time where they've gotten a single break. I think yeah. the best they've done is Yuki finished a race. Right. The first race. And it's been all downhill from there. And then Joe hits Gasly in lap one in the sprint. So, yeah. The, the, no, it has been a t- terrible season uh, from a luck perspective for them. Their car, it, it doesn't seem great and it doesn't seem terrible. It seems like bang in the middle of the field. For sure. Um, I was kind of hoping they'd have a little more juice in the tank but yeah uh, it's not that this doesn't have like you know doesn't have the same kind of jazz there's there's like mm. nothing really behind it um but i i don't get the same sense from gasly because he's just you know taking it on the chin but i think that yuki for sure is uh the, the frustration and is building and i don't i don't know how they how anyone could go through a season 
staring down the barrel of the season knowing that like they've had it this bad. Gasly does have a bit of, I, I don't know if it's an overstatement to say he has a temper, but when he's upset and disappointed, he really does show it. Uh, it's very visible and he's not going to like that at this stage in the career, he's kind of backsliding mm. from where he was last year. Because an obvious narrative is from last year's Gasly is clearly the best driver that's not in a top four car he's hugely outperforming his resources and just obviously deserves a shot sometime soon in a competitive car and it's just hard to look the same this year when you don't have a reliable or fast car under you so it's this is a a frustrating place for him to be and I hope it doesn't last too long personally it's like I can't quite look too close because I don't want to get too emotionally attached I'm it's like this it's a cat that you want to adopt but you're like don't make eye contact because then you're gonna want to keep it like I can't handle <laughs> I can't handle like all the peeing on the rug this is gonna be. right so yeah they're they're in a tough spot I mean I think this is they just need a change of momentum they need some things to go right and then just to kind of ride that wave. But right now it's just like they're in the pits. Last note from Q3. Guan Yu Zhou looked very quick mm. in Q3. Um, but you're speaking of luck. And then in Q2 was all about luck. They had maybe three or four or five minutes of real running. The track was drying out. So they were starting to post, you know, real times on the board, not like, you know, wet and wild, slippery times. And then the rain comes heavy and you get this awkward situation where some people have gotten real times and other people were just kind of feeling it out. And then there's, you know, 10 minutes, 10, 12 minutes left on the clock and none of the cars are out there on the track. Everyone's free to go, but it's pouring. You can't put an actual faster time in, even if you were just kind of taking it chill on your first lap so it's was kind of a tense thing and Joe is one of those who loses out who just doesn't get kind of a real effort on the board and both Mercedes yeah yeah both Mercedes they just do nothing uh so there's winners and losers in the kind of rain lottery and it was a kind of a wasted session afterwards speaking of Mercedes and Lewis the Lewis interview because he ends up 13th right and and Russell 11th and you just sort of see Lewis's despair I mean he's still going through his same talking points and self-talk but you can tell like he doesn't really believe it he's like well of course it's disappointing but everyone's working hard at the factory and we'll keep working hard and do what we can but you can see like he's just he's just kind of hanging on to these I don't want to be mean but somewhat worn out lines for him. I think that those lines had real value to him when he the margins were so much tighter and he really had he had a lot more success. It's easier right. to feel like you need to when you're high up, you can't drop low. You have to stay high. You have to stay positive. You have to keep, you know, your eye on the prize so to speak. But when you really are in a low position, those words don't help. Well, Olivia, I want you to define a concept that you've introduced to me recently, which is toxic positivity. <laughs> okay. Because Lewis is truly a positive thinker. He's yeah. a positive guy. He has a good attitude. He works hard, of course, but he's hopeful. He's optimistic. And obviously, when you've won seven world titles and 103 races, I think it is, you know, you have every reason to believe that a positive outlook and good effort, you know, 
will bear fruit. Um, and with that, let's explain your, your concept here. Well, negative thinking has the opportunity to always make good on itself. You know, if you think, oh, this is going to be terrible, this is going to be bad, it's going to be bad, there's a higher percentage that it will actually turn that way because you're not, you've resigned yourself to a certain outcome. But toxic positivity, and not to like make this, take this from an F1 podcast to like a mental <laughs> health podcast or a psychology mm -hmm. podcast, but the idea behind toxic positivity is that in moments of real grief or frustration, we don't have the language to really talk about or say something of real value so we we resort to these cliches we we resort to these isms and things you know yeah. like sorry for your loss like that's not that doesn't carry any weight for we a kind of paste these lost. nice words over the and situation because you want to be like oh no it's gonna be fine it's gonna be okay like you know it'll get better like you'll get over him like it was just a breakup like you, all those sort of things that in the interest of being helpful you kind of paper over someone's real feelings and Whereas when toxic, when positivity becomes toxic is when you can't like really connect emotionally to the person, really see them where they are. And you have to do something kind of uncomfortable when someone is really under stress or really in pain where you have to sit with them in that uncomfortable spot. You have to like acknowledge that like you are in a, you know, you're in the shits. And it's hard for people to do that because they want to be helpful. They want to do something right. better for that person. And there's no good way to fix something that's not working. There's so, an idea in uh, affect theory of all places. Sorry, guys, we're, we're literature people <laughs> uh, called cruel optimism. And sort of the basic gist of that is too much optimism, too much daydreaming about what's possible, setting the bar too high, you know, can set you up for more. Uh, disappointment and unhappiness than would otherwise uh, attend to your life if you just kind of were where you were and were em embracing that. Uh, but it's hard to be there for Lewis when you're used to being at the top. You don't, it would seem like a psychological mistake to too, to, too readily accept your new uh, midfield status. For sure. Um, I mean, who knows what he's going through? Who knows what the conversations he's having with his engineers and, you know, with Bono? Like, you know, who who knows what go fly on the wall between Angela and Lewis right now? But <laughs> there is, um, I think he's going through a different kind of test, a different kind of journey that we've seen him. You yeah. know, he's been fighting for real things. Now I think he's fighting for the same kind of fight for so little. And I think that that's... Right. It's... Um, right. I, I can personally <laughs> uh, understand this. We've all been there, people. Come on. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see him in this position and yeah. sort of how how he kind of continues. We're fighting for a dozen more listens over here. <laughs> we're, hope, we're hoping that that is not an overly optimistic hope. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're going to move a little more quick here um, because we're still only in Q2 in what's supposed to be a quick take, hot take here. Um, so Q1... The first big event is right on the yeah. heels of his big contract Carlito. extension. Signs crashes. He's so eager to kind of narrow that distance between him and Leclerc. Is he trying too hard? Last, uh, not last week, but last race, right? He crashes in the first or second lap. Trying yeah. too hard. Screws the pooch there. And he's trying to uh, make the magic happen in Q1. Crashes out, so he's forced to start 10th and... 
our feelings went instantly out to him. You know, I kind of in my head have been putting Signs and Leclerc on a little bit of the same plane, you know, especially last season, because they're both have that like charm and they both are like the same height and size and level and difficulty but now yeah, really they're both likable how and... different they are like how different their temperaments are how different their mentality is um how different they are in and tr- finding you know tents and places and like where their, their talents really lie and i mean not to you know reduce everything to like a person's personality to like one or two mistakes but you definitely see Charles Leclerc as being a little bit just clean cut you know right-footed and then Carlos Sainz being more I don't know pushing harder and more putting more passion to things but then making more mistakes and he's like there are these there the gap between them isn't just in points and in pace but also like in temperament and personality and like those their their differences are becoming more and more prevalent to me carlos has these kind of strengths that in some ways are working against him he's a Mm -hmm. really thoughtful knowledgeable smart data-driven hard-working crunching the numbers getting under the hood thinking about everything analyzing all the little ways in which he can get faster so he's really putting in the work uh and he's trying to make that happen out on the track, but then compared to Leclerc, it can look like he's trying too hard or overthinking, whereas Leclerc is just kind of in his zone, sticking with it, not making any errors this season, getting the most out of the car without trying to get more from it than it has, and it's obviously, you know, rewarding him. Uh, So Q1 gets wet again. Lando was fast. It was great to see him up there in the times. Loved it. Sort of proving those early races this year to be a fluke. And McLaren, looking back, not competitive for wins quite, but closer to where we wanted them to be. Uh, and then Lando spins out, causes another red flag. This is um, like 30 seconds left. And kind of ends up, one of the sort of controversies is he kind of ends up benefiting from his own red flag because he was third he gets to keep that position the session is called off Verstappen benefits insanely because just under the like the neck of that last yellow flag he gets to before becomes a red he crosses the line whether or not he should have I think most people would have stopped slowed down he did not oh right well they said he laid off a little bit but still beat his previous time which means he wasn't laying off that much Right. This was uh, when it was a yellow flag before they were waving the reds, I guess. But I take it then that Leclerc didn't. Leclerc would have used those final thirty seconds to get a a last flyer in, possibly beating Max. We don't. We can't say. Uh, also benefiting from the kind of rain lottery were Magnussen and Alonso. So Magnussen finishes a Haas qualifying record P four and Alonso P five. Uh, Ricardo, sixth. All right, let's get to the sprint. This is taking <laughs> way too long. Leclerc gets Max off the line. Max has trouble with the shifting. And then, you know, I felt that sinking feeling again. You know, we've seen Max have so much heartbreak this season. Is uh, is the is the good thing going to be snatched from him and, and so soon? In the race. Uh, good starts for Checo, too. Checo didn't have a great Q3, so he uh, started seventh, I believe. 
a lot of action in the midfield. But basically, to sum it up, Sainz and Checo end up moving forward to finish third and fourth. So Amazing. great for them. Yeah. The kind of losers is, you know, everyone was so jazzed for K-Mag, and, and he doesn't make any obvious errors, but he just he just can't hold on. Ends up sliding back, I think, to eighth to claim uh, that last single qualifying point. Which is kind of what we would have all put our money on. Everyone will put totally. our money on. I mean, top finishing in the top ten for a Haas is kind of like best you can hope for. So it was still a great result. It was... It was kind of tough because you do root for him. P four was so great, and you see him getting overtake and overtook, and yeah, it was a, uh, it was kind of a hard thing to watch because you know, like every time someone passes by you, you're just you like you just deflate a little right, bit, right, right. But still great, still a point, still something. They're still still looking competitive. And on the other side of the garage, I think Schumacher came up two places. I believe he started twelve and finished ten. So. That's cool. They're starting 8 and 10, bang in the midfield in competition for, you know, kind of the back half of the points tomorrow, which is, that's where you want to be when you're high. You can't reasonably expect things to be too much better than that unless something wild happens. Schumacher overtook Vettel in the last couple of laps. Kind of a changing of the guard. (laughs) Exactly. Generational violence. (laughs) But it was... We've seen Schumacher, at least lately, been a little sleepy because he's been nowhere near Magnussen, um, at least like in even potential. So for Haas to really make up a lot of ground, they have to, you know, Schumacher's got to show up a little bit. And uh, I think this was a kind of the first little glimmer where he could maybe contribute. I would, their, I would love to see him yeah. kind of pull neck and neck with Magnussen and towards the contributing to Haas. I don't know if it's going to be quite so close, but if Magnussen can kind of do a couple of, you know, P8s, P7s, and Schumacher can be even like 10th or 11th, yeah. I mean, that, that shows a lot of... Uh, it would mean a lot just to break into the points, even if it's ninth and ninth or tenth place. So the big event in the sprint is waiting to see if Max is going to have a chance on Leclerc. And early on, Leclerc opens a gap of it was kind of oscillating between one and a half and two seconds ish, so out of DRS range. And we're thinking, Oof. can Max crawl back? He's got he's got to get in under a second so he can sort of, you know, then pull closer and. Uh, and try to make a pass in in the later stages of the race. Uh, And slowly, you know, you see him setting it up, setting up. He's inching closer. At first, you know, it's just getting to that one-second threshold. I forget the lap, but he finally gets there, and then he's still totally patient, lap after lap. Now he's got the DRS, and you just see sort of this, you know, like a long foreshadowing, very patient setup of what's to come. So then every lap, he's just pulling a little bit closer, particularly uh, with DRS on the straight. And you just know it's coming. It's coming. And your only question is when it happens, because it's going to happen, can, is Leclerc going to switch it around and get him back on the next lap, as happened both in uh, Bahrain and in Saudi, where they were kind of doing the DRS back and forth, lap after lap, which is thrilling on the one hand but also a little bit artificial on the other someone needs to put that last like two laps to like the jaws soundtrack (laughs) totally totally some it was like the you know the little 
the little dolphin or the little like a uh, seal just got a little like you know a little cut in its leg and, oh and yeah it's a little little trail of blood in the water and it was just being sniffed out yeah there's no rush but it's we all know what's gonna happen i know that there's only maybe one overtake you know place on this track and that is a little bit of a bummer it is but from a uh, like a tactical standpoint point of view you really have to be very clever on when you do overtake and i think that it would it's only someone with like the steel that verstappen has to be like i'm gonna wait to the last yeah minute. that's what i was i was even saying while we were watching like he should he should have the kind of cunning cruel patience to wait till the very last lap do the move no time for leclerc to get him back he absolutely called it and it you know even if i think it was a couple laps it was longer, a couple Czech, laps before Czech that probably could have gotten leclerc too because they possibly. were just like on the hunt but if you think about like a driver like could carlos Sainz have made that move what if he had been had the stealth and the patience and like the restraint and then yeah. knowing when to pounce and when to do it there is that is something that I don't know. I really admire. I really, I really find there's a lot of uh, thrill and a lot of interest in the way that Verstappen drives. So seeing that little move, um, it was great. There was nothing Leclerc can do. I mean, that's just you're up, you're up against yeah, the, the yeah. bigger fish. No, no matter what the points say, it's Max versus Leclerc. Hundred percent. That's the story. That's the story. I'm hoping for more for races like this where we can really see the way that it battles out because. That, those were like those shining moments for me when I see those. All right. So Checo and Sainz do well, put themselves back where they should be, basically. Another shocking big takeaway is Merck does absolutely nothing. They start 11 and 13 and finish 11 and 14. So by my math, Sonoda at some point overtook Hamilton. Uh, they didn't show that one on the broadcast. We'll have to go back and find that. But 21 laps in, and you can't do anything in those cars? I That's... That's stunning in a car that has doesn't look at this weekend, but has often been clearly the third best car. Well, the practice right before the race showed Russell flying. He was fastest in the practice, he right? Was. In dry practice before the sprint. Yeah. Um, I was thinking for sure they're going to make up some places. They're going to do just fine. It was a. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's I, I, I don't have any sense of like what went down. I can't really even speak One to One possible explanation is they were stuck with the setups that they used in Friday Quali for the sprint. So, which is, of course, whatever setup they were doing was geared toward the wet or the possibility mm. of rain. Mm. And then, so in practice today, you can get a feel for the car in the dry because, of course, you're going to be sprinting on the dry. But... You're really limited. You couldn't just do anything to the setup. Uh, you had to work within very narrow parameters. You could swap things out if they were broken, but you really couldn't change your setup in a fundamental way, even though the conditions had fundamentally changed. So I don't know. But then he was, Russell was also first in the dry practice, so, which would make you think their setup wasn't off. So I have no idea. It, what is going on over there? It's like they're good, they're bad. They like can't make up their mind. I... All right, we'll see you tomorrow. I know, because as bad as they're doing, you'll say, well, uh, Russell has been very reliable. He's been right there with Lewis in performance. Like, he looks to have integrated seamlessly. So I, I don't know. I don't know. All right, Olivia, we've gone on, we've gone on way too long. Yeah, sorry. The, the race hasn't even happened yet. 
you guys, we're are bad. We just get we just start talking about toxic positivity and we just start, you know, we go down all these rabbit holes. Um all right, so long winded as we are though, you can still donate a dollar via <laughs> the anchor platform. Look for that in the show. Check notes. us out, Anchor, toss us a buck. We'd appreciate it. Um we're glad to be back. We had a little break. It was nice to uh soak up some rays on the beaches of Mexico, but we are Back in the basements of Brooklyn, broadcasting <laughs> to you all the F1 drama, and we're, we're, we're glad to do it. All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Look out for that one. All right, see you. Bye-bye.